Hello, welcome to Mark Langley's Horsemanship Podcast, a podcast helping people to understand their horses better, to provide solutions in a calm, connected way. I'm Jenny Barnes. And I'm Mark Langley. Now, creek crossings, Mark. Um, I've got a next question is a, a gelding who gets really anxious even when they just hear a creek. So rearing and spinning away the moment you put extra pressure on him to go forward. <coughs> Um, CJ is wondering how can she get him to cross not using the traditional methods i.e. using reins is there another way that you can actually help uh, reduce his anxiety yeah it sounds like by the, by the level of anxiety he's got from, uh, for, uh, with the creeks and stuff it's, it's something's happened and it's a big problem um, so um, it's going to have to be taken seriously like a horse that's sort of very claustrophobic in a horse float and how long it takes to get them comfortable with horse floats and because uh, we see creeks as maybe something that's not as scary as something else but for that horse it as I say could be as bad as a claustrophobic horse um, and and you know when you've had a horse that's really claustrophobic and nervous of horse floats it's a big job to get them to, to trust that horse float again and even traveling in it so you, you've got to be prepared to treat some things with a level of um, detail that you get the horse right about it um and so when you when you want to go and sort of educate your horse near a creek crossing um don't try and do it the day that you're out on a ride with your mates on some tough creek crossing you want to be sort of trying to find a crossing that's got enough room not one of those tight pokey ones to start with um that's got a bit of room that the horses that you've got room to sort of educate your horse um there's so many things in the yards that the horse may need to know that I don't know that your horse knows. And just quickly, which I say to everybody, is there's the anxiety, there's the things that you can control. And so, for instance, one of those things is the reins. Another one could be the legs and, and the different reins that you use on your horse. Um, if you're touching those reins in a calm environment and the horse is kind of chomping and bracing and anxious then you are not got a tool that's going to be able to withdraw the anxiety from the horse. You've got a tool that actually puts anxiety in the horse. So you have to go yourself and address those tools um, and, and just look quietly at all the tools that you've got and you're using and when you use them and how troubled your horse is if they let go of the thoughts and they follow the feel of the rein softly. Um, all that sort of stuff you really have to look at away from any obstacles and scary things. But going back to the creek sort of scenario, what I would do is I'd just get the horse... You know, getting if I'm walking up to the creek and the horse starts to go, as soon as it starts to go, or and I feel it start to slow, that's when I'd say maybe I'll take you away a little bit and come back and have another take on it. Now the reason being is is if the horse has already lost trust in people and it's ran backwards and you know nearly reared up, then basically it's saying that's really dangerous and you're leading me in to a very dangerous place. I think it's safer that we retreat. And because the horse is doing that, then our leadership or how it sees our leadership gets, um, you know, it's almost like it deteriorates that how it sees our leadership. So, but if we sort of get close to thought of the scary thing, the creek, and the horse goes, ooh, and we go, there's a creek there, but we might just go away over here for a second and come back and have another take. The horse goes, oh, thanks. I was thinking about turning around uh, or turning away a little bit because I was a bit wary. So... It actually, the rain does something good for it instead of says, point at the creek and then keep going. So then you come back around and the horse sort of 
tips out a little bit of worry when you turn that rein because you take that rein take it away it tips a bit of worry out so when you come back again the horse has another take and, and you could always turn it back again and have another take what usually happens is they'll get a little closer each time now over time instead of turning all the way around away from the creek and coming back um, you can turn away from the creek or, or where the horse the, the threshold started to get to, to a point the horse started to get wary you can turn away and give the horse a little bit of space but then turn back so you haven't turned all the way around and you just turn back again and you just walk past again and and just do like a, a like a, a weave in front of the and what usually happens the horse will go past it with one eye and they'll be listening and they'll be looking them as, as they turn they'll look and you just do a bit of that and you'll start they'll start to actually the usually the, at the boundary uh, or, or how close they originally stopped to the creek gets closer and closer to the creek so they actually get a little bit more interested but also what you're doing is you're sort of saying, well, this door's closed over here and this door's closed over here. So you're starting to sort of say, this direction is kind of the general direction I want you to think and this direction is starting to become unavailable. And and every time they start to sort of think into that sort of area that's scary, uh, you just stop and sit on them and just let them kind of address it. Um, and, and, and if the horse gives you one day a fair bit of interest and goes, oh yeah, I'm having a bit of a look, then you can say, well, that's that's us for today. Let's go and ride off somewhere else, um, and and just get the leadership back. Because if the horse already had a few wrecks near the creek, um, I think it's really good that you get the trust back in the reins and yourself. So you know, if the horse has sort of got a little interest and walked a little closer, then okay, let's go somewhere else and and do something different. Maybe come back in an hour, maybe come back the next day, whatever you like. But maybe treat it a bit seriously that you you, you, t you take it over a bit of time. The other thing is um, um, don't have your mind across the creek. Too many times I see people get on horses and, you know, if a horse floats, creeks, just trying to ride at the end of the arena like some people get stuck at the gate or the horse gets stuck at the gate because their mates are all somewhere else. And for some reason, the poor person's mind goes to the other end of the arena. And it's almost because the horse wants to be here and doesn't want to go there. It's like the person wants to go. So, so the horse and the person are at complete opposites. And it doesn't take long for a person to get frustrated if the horse is not doing what they want it to do. So you have to say, this is a sandy desert of nothing, but that direction seems to be scary. But for you, there's nothing for you in that direction. So you can't see that direction as advantageous because you don't want to be fighting your horse for a direction you want when they want that direction that's the opposite. So, so I think what you really need to do is say this horse is scared of this direction but i don't want anything i just want the horse to sort of maybe get a little bit confident at looking at the scary direction but i don't even want to go that way to be honest i'm just helping the horse and if you think like that you could sit on that horse for an hour and you wouldn't be rattled but as soon as you think you want the horse to look at that creek you're gonna start going oh, it's not doing it Oh, it's not doing your anxiety comes up and, and I see it all the time. I even know it in myself of all the years of riding horses after so many minutes of not going where I, where I thought we were going to go, me getting a bit like, you know, rigid. So that's something I've really had to learn to sort of, you know, to just control and how I control it. I start to go, well, I don't have a bucket list. I just sit here and let's just help you out for now. So, yeah, if you said. And, and yeah, over time you'll start to just work your way back, but you're using the reins. 
Uh, sometimes if the horse is kind of interested and ready, you might put a little squeeze to say, would you like to go forward? But I would try and use the reins as saying, maybe that door's closed over there and this one's here and offer it and let them start to work their way down soft. Um, because once they start rushing across things, and they lose trust in you, then they start to get tunnel vision, like the destinating horses. And, and like a destinating horse is a, a simple example of, of um, getting a horse to start to become a bit of a destinator or a tunnel vision horse is uh, riding along up a bit of a track. There's a scary shed over there. The horse goes, ooh, and slows down. The person straightens it out and squeezes it, pushes it through. And the horse goes, oh, I didn't like that. But And then something else spooks it over there. And the person straightens it out and squeezes it. And then after a while, the horse goes, I'm not allowed to think. This is all too scary. Block, 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 block tunnel vision, tunnel vision, and all they're looking at is, is the future. And then when something really big happens that they didn't see, they get really rattled, and that's when they hit the red line. So it's important you let your horses look at the things, wait a little, don't squeeze them as soon as you feel felt them slow down when you're riding. Just wait a little and then maybe steer them away from that a little bit and then come back around it this way. And then soon enough, they'll learn to sort of think their way through a lot of situations and they'll always be in the present, not in the future. Mark, Ella's wondering if you can explain a little bit more about how she should be using her reins and her legs. She has a horse which is very sensitive and she's been riding in a way that she feels is probably different from what you would like her to be doing. So I'll give you an example. From a standstill, she can ease the reins and he'll move forward with no heels. So she thought that was quite a good thing because he was able to respond so, so easily to it. Um, and if she dropped the reins, then he would stay still. But she'd just like you to explain, as if she knew nothing from scratch, how you would like her to be approaching reins and legs. Okay, so the first thing before I forget the one part of the question there, or what you said you were doing um, when I get sort of lost in answering the question, uh, is easing the reins and moving forward. If you just loosen on the reins and you're not asking for any turning or anything like that, then you would use your legs to ask your horse to walk forward. Um, but on young horses and older horses that have sort of, that, that don't have a lot of confidence or bracy ones or ones that are stuck at the gate, whatever, um, I tend to teach them movement before I use my legs. So that means I'm generally teaching them to turn, doing a lot of one rein starts. Okay, um, and once they can find movement and after they've turned and they're moving in the turn, you let the rein off and they'll generally keep moving out on a straight line. And in those cases, you don't really have to kick them after the turn uh, or use your legs after the turn because they're, they're kind of already moving out of that turn anyway and you just relax and go with them. Um, but when you're just standing on them and you haven't asked anything, um, basically legs are to go forward. You, you wouldn't do anything. You wouldn't do a lot with the reins in the sense because that's the time you do need legs to say go forward so i um and 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 i guess what i want to say for everybody which is so important is you over the years are trying to figure out better ways to get horses to sort of i guess say yes i can do this is i had to figure out um what i was really using the reins for what i was using my legs for because I didn't want to go to sort of artificial, more artificial aids past my legs to make a horse go like, if you don't listen to my legs, I'm going to bump you with a stick, or if you don't listen to my legs, I'm going to have to get my, my neighbour to come and chase you with a flag, or how, you know, how far down the line are you willing to go to get your horse to move? 
And then I realised that the reason a lot of horses weren't moving is because one of lack of confidence, two their their thoughts were somewhere else. I mean, most most of the time, they're, they're, you know, they're, you know the ones with their thoughts somewhere else, they're back at the last place of safety or something like that. Uh, and the other one is there's something up there and they're really frightened of it and they don't want to go towards it. But it's not like they're destinating anywhere. They're just petrified of going up there because they don't. As I say, that goes back to that lack of confidence. So. A lot of times when we feel our horses slow down, we've got to go work out, why did my horse just slow down? Did it just slow down because of lack of impulsion? Which usually, in a lot of cases, it's not necessarily the case. So the things that horses slow down to are, one, my mates are at the gate, and I want to go back to the gate, or back to the back to the stable, back to the paddock. Um, and that's why if we're going this way and the paddock's back this way, then... Uh, or back behind us somewhere the horse starts to slow down so because we feel a horse slow down we go oh slowing down means I have to kick or, or you know put my legs on but in reality the horse is actually thinking kind of backwards over there so that's a steering problem it's got nothing you know I don't treat it as an acceleration problem because the thoughts are over there and the body's over here so that's where I reach down the rein and I'd say let go of that, bring your thoughts, and I'd let the horse turn back a little bit because that's what they'd want to do, they'd turn back. And, uh, and I'd, I'd reach down the rein and I'd say, let go of that, come over here until the thoughts are back over here with me. Uh, or not with me, but um, in this area with me and the horse and thinking where we're going, where, you know, thinking ahead away from that. So, so that's, you know, that's a lot of times when a horse slows down, it's usually a steering problem. If it's a lack of confidence, well, I'm going to just steer the horse until it starts to want to search and go towards the scary thing, like um, like crossing a scary creek. Um, I wouldn't use my legs, but when the horse is free and got nice forward thought and moving, then I'd use my legs to teach it to accelerate. Another reason horses slow down is because there's a certain brace in the rein and they've never learnt to sort of soften and think into a rein. So you'd be riding along, nice, nice, nice trot, trotting fine on a loose rein, and then all of a sudden you go to take up, like do a bit of a corner, you pick up the left rein, the horse goes, oh, braces, looks to the right a little bit, lugs on there, and then it starts to slow down. So automatically, because we feel a slowdown, we start to go, oh, accelerate, come on, go faster, you're slowing down. But why did the horse slow down? It didn't slow down for any reason but the reins. The reins caused the horse to slow down. So we don't use our legs to speed the horse up because it was the reins that caused that brace that caused the horse to slow down. So we go back and we, from a standstill, and we find where that brace is and we teach the horse to soften and think into the rein and lead into that rein softly and we create movement through the rein. So if you do a one rein start, you're actually getting the horse from nothing to something in the reins, which means nothing to movement. And the horse is thinking and moving in the reins, which means the reins are starting to create life and movement. And the horse is only following the feel, just like a foal follows the feel when you teach it to lead. So sometimes this might sound a bit uh, foreign for some people. They might think, oh, no, no, legs are for impulsion and reins are for bending or whatever they may think. But it's not foreign for the horse because when we hold a foal, and we teach our young horses to lead, we pick up a feel and they follow it. If they didn't know how to follow a feel, then it all end up, you know, every time you put the rope over a rail, it all, you know, brace and lug onto it like that because they didn't know how to come off that pressure softly. So a horse has to move to follow a feel to let go of brace. It has to move. So at the end of the day, 
um, we use our reins to teach our horses to steer and think and move into that feel, whether it be uh, rebalancing for a hindquarter yield, things like that, no matter what it is, you, you, you can sort of, there's so many things you can do with the reins in advancement. Um, so I guess that's why I teach people to use the reins to create movement. So all I'm really, you know, saying to people is, you know, pick up a feel, get that horse to move, pick up a feel, get that horse to move. When you've got nice movement, then you can use the legs to say go faster. Um, and what happens is doing one thing at a time, you start to go, right, I'm using the legs for this and I'm using the reins for this. And the other thing is what I want you to think about is you're asking a question. So by asking a question, you know the answer to that question. So instead of putting the legs on because the horse is slowing down, you're putting the legs on to say, I would like you to walk like this, or I would like you to trot up into a slow trot. Uh, you're not saying, oh, come on, keep going, keep going, because the horse is still thinking with its mate. Um, so you're asking a specific question. So if you ask a question, you have to know the answer first. You can't just ask it and then the horse just gives you something and you kind of go, oh, well, that'll do. Because uh, then the horses will always kind of make mistakes because we weren't very specific on what we wanted. So, yeah, I, I guess one day you'll get so close together with legs and reins that they'll nearly be working simultaneously. But at the start, it's, I'm using my reins, I'm using my legs. And yeah, I hope that makes sense to the, to, to you. But anyway, it'll, it'll, yeah, once you muddle through all that answer, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. But the, you know, the best thing is, is if you're steering the round and using the reins, the horse should be moving. If you just hang, hang the reins there, it stops. Um, and if you, if it, if the reins are hung and you want to squeeze it up into a walk or a trot, that's okay. The horse can go out on a loose rein without any feel in the reins because that's when the legs have come in and said you can move forward and that's fine. Vanessa has a question for you about her horse that she took to a clinic um, about a year ago with you. So her horse uh, was trialled with the police, was very afraid of his rider and the reins. She's been working with him uh, and going, go going good with him. But she recently took him on a three-day dressage clinic. And she found that on day one he was good, but day two he wasn't so good. And by day three she really felt he was about to explode if she moved her legs in the wrong way. She hadn't really felt that level of anxiety in him since she had him at your clinic. So she's understanding that it's the staying overnight away that is causing problems for him. She's got another clinic with you booked coming up at the end of the year and it will mean another overnight stay. So she's just wondering, have you got any advice to help with helping him to make the clinic overnight a bit of a better experience? Yeah, well, um, firstly, congratulations for, for getting him you know, coming along better because he, he did really have, have a bit of trouble at that clinic and though we saw some kind of good good responses in him, it, it was really sort of highlighted um, the old trouble and the worry that he couldn't tip out when he, when his mind started to freeze um, because he was only on the borderline of, of really tapping out. And, um, so, you know, good on you for going, um, you know, get, get, getting a good response and a change in him. Uh, I will say I think there's still things in his education that you'll be still seeing or I'll see that are like he's still maybe not not um, uh, aware and soft enough in his environment. There'll be things down his sides and pressure that I think there'll still be areas where he's un, un, you know uncomfortable um, and they show up 
usually when the cup's a bit like um, when his worry cups uh, got more more worry in it. So um, so when he's but but the fact that he's staying a lot calmer now shows that he's he's getting more comfortable with the things that you're showing him. Um, but what I did notice is when his worry cup was full, we could tip it out even when he had a kind of a tap out. Uh, at the clinic, uh, we we could tip it out and show him that there's a better way and there's a field to follow, and then he and he gets soft. Um, but I think he's just because of that experience with the police, and and then I think the other one that I remember was was a bit of that sort of training where he was kind of you know drawn up in reins and and held up that sort of bottled him up under pressure. He just sometimes might go back to the bottle up thing where he just sort of you know he's like a pressure cooker, and that that would be the pressure from staying overnight too many times and things like that. Um, so when, when he's thinking and he's active, he's, he's getting more calm with things, but when he suddenly gets that bottled up pressure and the worry cup's full, I think even your education starts to frighten him because it goes back to when he was frightened of that sort of stuff. Um, so there's always things that you'll improve on at home that'll get him better and better. And I guess when I see you, I'll, I'll try and sort of talk to you about, you know, the things I see that maybe when he's calm, there's still areas that I'd be working on. And um, but but in in the sense of getting him prepared for the clinic, you have to find out what's the thing that ticks him the most, and and it's probably like like I try and set up like human scenarios so people can sort of feel what it feels like to be a horse. No, though it's not exact. I'd say you know you could imagine if you were a child and you were taken away from your parents into a very stressful environment, but no one ever told you what was happening. They just put you in the back of a car and then took you into this really stressful place with loud music and crazy people and and you know you'd get very very stressed and 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 you'd either shut down or you'd just panic or whatever um and i think sometimes that's what horses go through and we, we've got to recognize that so but if we sort of somehow graded that exposure for that child then um, they might be able to cope in small doses with that environment. So something I would sort of look at is how is he in a stable when in in his comfortable environment? When you walk him in and out of a stable, is he sometimes get a bit nervous or old habits from when he was in the police force? Maybe stabled more things like that. Does he start to get these funny sort of shutting down sort of expressions when he's in a stable? Things like that. Um, maybe look closer at the the little things that he's going to be exposed to when he goes away overnight. Uh, especially the stabling and things like that. And maybe uh, if he starts to get nervous in a stable, start to grade his exposure in there, teach him how to lead into a stable like a horse float. So every part of that way in, he starts to soften and, and relax and go, yeah, I can walk around in here soft and leave him in there for a little while, visit him, take him out, and just do little things like that if that was part of it. Um, another thing you can do if you did have his friend there, you might have to pay stabling for two horses just to have him close to a friend. So his, his herd comes with him a little bit. It's like, you know, when you go somewhere scary with your parents, it's okay, but if your parents aren't there, you're freaked out. So if you, if you could maybe look into that, that might be an option. I know it's a little bit more money for stabling, but, you know, it's worth it if the horse goes through it feeling a lot better because over time they'll go back to losing trust in us if, they take us, if we take them to too many scary experiences that they... That, that, that they lose the plot in. Um, the other thing, you know, is at the clinic, if you don't have a friend that he can come with, then maybe with all the other horses at the clinic, there's got to be one that he's going to be friendly with. 
okay and he might have to stay a little closer to that one so there's a bit of comfort and refuge in the stable so it's not not too much pressure and I, I'd, I'd pay him regular visits take him out for for, for graze things like that uh, make sure the connection you've got with him is really good that time when he stands with you he's comfortable so so he sort of knows that there's sort of comfort not far away um, and I just work on all that you know things and but mostly graded exposure for a little while and yeah, I guess you'll come up with a bit of a game plan and and uh, and you know see how you go with it. But yeah, I've had horses where I've seen it. I remember the horse, the little horse Decoptana was um, uh, some some people who bred him, led uh, lent him to me, and he was just straight off the property. And the first day Decoptana, he was kind of really like, wow, this is a big place. This this joint's huge, and kind of wandering around really open. He's a very confident horse. But the next day, I felt he was different. It wasn't necessarily because the education. It was just am I ever going to go home again? I'm really frightened. This place, I had no sleep last night. The lights are on all night. There's these crazy horses everywhere that aren't like my friends. And, uh, you know, so he started to fret a little bit and I could feel it in him that he was different. Uh, though he went well for the next day for, for a completely green horse, I suppose. You know, for him, it was like, get me home, please. <laughs> so I think that's what you what you got to look at but if you just sort of do those things and grade that exposure to the and try and find out what scares him if it's the stabling and things like that and uh, the intensity of new horses and um you know but but yeah as i say if he's got a friend or we can find him a friend at the clinic to keep him a bit of company then that's all going to be good wonderful thank you very much for your um, brilliant answering again Mark. thanks we'll thanks everybody you can learn more from Mark online through his online training videos. Just search Mark Langley Horsemanship. There's over 380 training videos which everyone has access to with a seven day free trial. If you like what you see, it's just $15 a month from there. That's help where you need it.